morning. Uh, today is the third Sunday of Lent, and the lectionary passage uh, for today is Luke chapter 13. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. So listen as I read. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Are those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if it does not, you can cut it down. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just praise you and thank you for your presence with us and the gift of your word. And as we look at this passage and think about it uh, this morning, we just pray that you be among us. You teach us and all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is kind of a strange passage, um, probably not one of most people's favorite passages of Scripture. You don't hear it quoted a lot, uh, talked about a lot, but it, it's significant anyway, and it is the common lectionary passage for this Sunday, for the third Sunday of Lent. So as we think about it, I, I want us to, certainly to always be aware of of what's going on. Jesus, starting at about chapter 10, but really all through uh, Luke's gospel, it, it kind of moves towards Jerusalem. You know, starts out uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem with Bethlehem is close to Jerusalem, and then Galilee, and then from that point on, it, it kind of moves towards Jerusalem as the key point. So it's always kind of on this journey, and this journey of movement, and, and it's towards Jerusalem. So he's going that direction, and he's done some teaching. He's gone by and, and seen Mary and Martha. and Then he's done a, a series of teaching in chapter 12 about the, the judgment and being prepared and being prepared for uh, the judgment to come. He had preceded that with some, some woes and some other stuff, but he teaches and talks about that. And then right before this, he talks about going to a judge and before you go to that judge, you better settle all your, all your stuff. If, if you have someone that um, has something against you and you're going to the judge, you better settle your accounts because you might end up getting uh, accused and end up in prison. This, this kind of story, another parable of being prepared. You know, don't waste time. Be prepared. But it's also this idea, this story of going to the judge and you might get accused and you might end up prison, that seems to have sparked the thought process of some people Jesus is teaching. 
And they bring up this idea, this statement, and inform Jesus, reminding him of these uh, individuals from Galilee, Galileans, who had brought sacrifice, and Pilate had them killed. And it says here, has their blood mingled with their sacrifice, but they were bringing sacrifice and had them killed. Now, we don't have a lot of historical um, evidence around when this happened and what it is, but this, this group from who Jesus is teaching kind of bring this up to Jesus. And I want us to, to first just understand there are some historical things around Pilate. If you remember back when, this was a while back when we looked at um, the Apostles' Creed, and I, and I taught around Pilate one week. But there's a lot in, in Pilate's story and where he came from. But one of the things that's recorded about Pilate, two, two events, that let you know, you know, there was times he would, he would kind of want to let the people you know, worship as they wanted to, let the people do what they wanted to as the, as the Roman uh, leader of the area. But he also wanted to remind, remind people who was in charge and take charge. Of, of the situation and there's one point that he brings in like these these roman images of either roman gods and roman standards and into the jerusalem and the, and the temple area and just offends the jews uh, makes them furious they get upset and uh, angry over it and there's some some opposition and some some demonstration against it and then another time that it says that he takes money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. Now, probably in his mind, he's thinking, well, this is an aqueduct, um, and an aqueduct that's going to be used in maybe in this area by some Jews, so I'll just take money from the treasury to build my aqueduct. Well, it was completely offensive to the Jews, the worshiping Jews who had, who had given. So those kind of things let you know kind of how Pilate's relationship was. And there's several scholars that kind of connect this incident with those things that we, we know and are recorded about him. Then most likely, maybe, there's these Galileans, which um, Galileans were kind of, the area of Galilee were known to, you know, maybe to kind of easy to, to, to stand up and fight. You know, that's where you know, the, the sons of thunder and, and where Peter uh, are called to be disciples. That maybe they were kind of, kind of quick-tempered or kind of willing to, to, to fight for what was right. I, I don't know, but that's kind of the idea and, and reputation. But these Galileans had come to Jerusalem, had come to worship, worship in a festival, and for some reason, Pilate assumed it was bad. They were either part of the demonstration or they were or he thought was going to be an uprising, or he thought was something going wrong. And there's all kinds of uh, opinions on what actually the event happened. But in essence, he has, has them killed, or at least some of them. And they're killed having, and that's why it mentions their, their blood mingled with the sacrifice. They were coming just to worship, and he has them killed. And they're almost the question of why they bring this up to Jesus. Um, but Jesus has been talking about being ready. He's just talked about you know, going before the judge. And, and maybe they're, they're bringing it up with a question. Or, but he's also moving towards Jerusalem. And of course, Pilate is going to play a role in what happens to him when he gets to Jerusalem. That this idea that it's they're sharing this 
Uh, you're talking about going to a judge and being ready. Are you ready? Almost like they're bringing it up. At, hey, you remember, because Jesus has been in Galilee. Several of his disciples are from Galilee. He's been teaching in Galilee. And now you have the movement from Galilee to Jerusalem. So it's almost like the, these people listening are, are reminding him, are you ready? Do you know what might happen to you if you, if you go to Jerusalem? Almost like, like a warning. And when I think about it, I, I kind of give a, uh, an idea of what, what might be going on here. My uh, family, where we grew up, my, it's kind of family land, and my, my great-grandfather lived next door in an old log cabin. My, my cousin now has it set up as a, as a bed and breakfast, but it was an old uh, log cabin that he lived in. And I loved him, and I've mentioned him before. Back you know, when I was you know, 12 or so and got a, got a, a go-kart, he used to call me Barney Oldfield because I wore a red helmet. It reminded him of an old uh, race car driver. And, um, but when I was little, he called me Charlie. And I can remember on occasion that my parents, we, we would sometimes go to, to New Orleans. Well, my great-grandfather got the Times-Picayune paper, which that's the paper out of New Orleans because he liked to have it and liked to read it. And, when, if we were going to go to New Orleans, because, you know, maybe go shopping, go see the French Quarter, have some beignets, um, and uh, there was also an ice, ice skating rink there. I like to ice skate, my sister as well. Maybe, maybe go for the day. Um, not often. But if he knew we were going, my grandfather would come over. And when he would come over to our house, he would always have this unique kind of way he would let us know it was him. He grabbed the screen door and just started clicking it you know, the, the latch on it. You knew if it clicked a bunch of times, the latch, well, that's Paul. That's what he was called. And he would come in, and if he knew we were going to New Orleans, he would have cut out, out of the Times-Picayune paper from New Orleans, you know, stories of people getting killed or shot or, you know, and sometimes, you know, hey, there's, there's a story of a kid, you know, they found about, about Charlie's age that, that was killed or something. You know, not telling us not to go, but he was just kind of throwing it out there as a warning. Do you really, are you really ready to take your kids to New Orleans? It might be a little dangerous. You know, that was his, his plan. And, you know, we'd take the article and my parents would probably say, you know, we'll, we'll put that into consideration and we would generally go on to New Orleans. But that's, to me, the kind of the feel that's going on here. Of what Jesus has been saying about being prepared. And then going before the judge, there's almost, this, in the group that he's, ministering to and, and teaching bring up this idea well hey what about those Galileans you know you're you've been in Galilee and you're heading towards uh, Jerusalem and are you ready what happened to them but Jesus as so often happens especially in Matthew and and Luke and here we're reading in Luke and it often happens all the time in Luke he takes it as a teachable moment I mean, almost everything is a teachable moment uh, for Jesus. He takes it as a teachable moment to elaborate on it. And he mentions, well, those Galileans, yeah, yeah. They, they go and they get killed by Pilate. But then he poses a question. He offers this question, well, were they killed? And because they were killed by Pilate, does that mean they're worse sinners than other Galileans? And then he brings up some Jews that had died. 
He says, and what about the 18? And, and they're in, in old Jerusalem. You know, which the simple, simple, there was a pool of Siloam. Near the pool of Siloam, obviously, there was a tower of Siloam. And, and at some point, that tower fell. And he brings that up and says, well, what about the tower of Siloam that fell on those 18 Jews and killed them? Were they worse sinners than, than others? Kind of taking it as a teachable moment and shifting it into what he's talking about. This, this warning that they bring up. Then kind of turns it and, and says, well, what about our theology here? And as, as we've said before, the theology of the ancient world and the time was, you know, if bad things happened to you, if you got sick or you died in some horrible way or something happened or you were blind or crippled, it was, it was some sin, somebody sinned. If you remember in John's gospel where, where Jesus meets the man who's blind and they ask, well, you know, was it him or his parents? Who... Who is the one who sinned? And he says, no. It's not any of that. It's for the glory of God, and it's revealed God's glory, and he heals him. This idea, and you could see it all the way back to Job in the Old Testament, that somebody, that sin results in something bad happening. And if you're good, good things will happen to you. Now, over and over in Scripture, we're told that's not really the case. But it still kind of prevails today. We don't admit it, but it's in the back of our mind. You know, that if, if you're good, good things are supposed to happen, and, and only you know, if bad things happen to bad people, that's okay. And to where when something bad, something tragic happens, we wonder, oh, oh my goodness, um, this is terrible. This shouldn't be happening to me. Where Jesus, they're bringing up to Jesus this, this terrible thing that's happened, and then almost hinting it might happen to you, and he turns around, why, why shouldn't it? Were they worse sinners than other Galileans? Were the, were the tower that fell on those Jews, were they worse sinners? Can you actually dodge? He, he shifts it to bring home the point. The tragic things happen. And yes, God intervenes. He's been doing healings and things happen. But ultimately, we all end. Our lives end. And tragedy and pain and hurt hits us all. And he reminds them that you know, it's, it's a broken world. Where here it is the, the tragic event that comes from somebody who's, who's just evil and, and does something that to innocent people. Somehow were they, were they worse? Did they deserve it? And then he brings up kind of this natural disaster, this disaster of, you know, construction that eventually this tower falls and it just falls on these people. Did that mean it was worse? And he says, no, they weren't. They're no worse sinners than anybody else. As I said, we need to be aware that how that is seen in our own culture. I know uh, we don't want to admit it, but sometimes, and, and there again, there are, there are third world countries and, and places that, that are hungry and in need that, that 
need missionaries and we need to go tell them about Jesus. And But sometimes we'll, we will go to, to countries to, to tell them about Jesus, assuming that, you know, that, or, or to places or places in our own country where people are in need. And we're going to tell them about Jesus with the assumption, because it's kind of in the back of our mind that, you know, hey, they must not know about Jesus. If they knew Jesus, they, they'd be better off. And how arrogant and wrong that is. That we all could, could end. Our lives could be snuffed out in a moment. To mean you're a worse sinner, less sinner, who to blame or who to pick. Or Jesus says, brings it up to illustrate this point. Are you ready? And gives this invitation to repent. Turn around. Are you, if you've if you got something in your life that needs to be let go of, repent and, and change it. Now's the time. Don't miss an opportunity. And I was thinking about that and thinking about my, my own life sometimes. You know, we, we all, when you, when you have a bad day or something bad happens, or sometimes there's stuff that happens that's just tragic and terrible. And sometimes those moments or seasons or days in our life that you just, oh, this is just horrible. Some tragic piece of news or some difficult, painful situation, and I'll wonder, oh no, this is just a horrible day. And what I was thinking about the other day as I, as I thought about that, from uh, kind of the wisdom that my, one of my sons and I have been talking about, the, the younger one, the wisdom that comes from uh, the movie Kung Fu Panda, um, which I'm not saying is all that wise, but there's, there's one statement with this old turtle. Um, Kung Fu Master Turtle says, you know, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why they call it a present, the present. Well, I, I don't think that originated with that movie. or, But that idea of but today is today. What, what can I do today? To make it better. And I started thinking about days and, and those moments that I feel like this is a terrible day. One day. One tragic and, and painful day that may change a lot of things. But I'll, you know, what about that one day? That one day is just a horror, horrific. And I'll overlook and forget the uh, 48, so I'll forget the other. 17,500 and something days that I've had. Some have been wonderful. Some of them I've wasted. <laughs> that when the tragic day hits, we sometimes forget all the good and sometimes can't see past the moment. And sometimes it's so tragic, it, it changes everything. I was thinking of that idea of a day and Jesus saying but, but as I prayed and just thinking what about all those 17,000 previous days and what what have you done what have you wasted are you ready and seeing each day as a gift as a moment that he, he takes this almost image of, hey, are you ready, Jesus? Are you ready to go to Jerusalem? And twist it to say, well, 
We never know. And there are no promises. And unless, unless we repent, the judgment's going to be really bad. And you never know when the moment is. You never know when it will happen. To kind of accentuate what he's been teaching for an entire chapter about be ready. Don't miss an opportunity to repent, to, to run to God. And then he gives this parable. And he tells this parable about a man who has a vineyard and he, he plants a tree in it and it produces no fruit. And actually, the, the gardener that works his, his vineyard, um, he goes to him and says, I want you to dig it up. It's time to get rid of it. It's wasting ground. And in, in the ancient world, in an agricultural-focused culture, you know, you did not want to waste ground on non-productive plants. And it's just wasting ground. Um, pull it out. Rip it out. But this, this gardener says, no, no. Why don't you let me fertilize it and take care of it and let me let me just pour into it and maybe next year if it produces that'll be great and if it doesn't then we'll look into it now one thing i want you to realize is that that is one um, normal idea actually in the culture jesus is in and in today's culture uh, the idea of let's just rip it out. In in Jesus' day, there is a, a, what was referred to as the words of Achar, which is this um, kind of mythical chancellor that worked for uh, the Syrian king um, Sennacherib, I believe was the one. But he wrote down all this these writings and kind of proverbial sayings, and a lot of it sounds like proverbs, some of it. But it goes back to the 5th century B.C., so hundreds of years before Jesus, and would be circulated all over the Middle East, these writings. And one of, one of his stories, kind of parable stories, is about a guy who had a vineyard. And he comes to a, a, a plant, a plant in his garden, and he's just this, not producing any fruit. And I'm going to rip it out. It's time to rip it out. And in his story, it's the plant who speaks. And the plant says, no, no, just give me some time. Let, let me work on it, you know, fertilize, and, and we'll, we'll work on it, and I'll do better, and I'll, I will produce next year. And the guy says, no. And the quote actually is, you know, you haven't been productive up to this point. You're not going to be productive no matter what I do. That's wasting my time. It's time to get rid of it. That was the the saying and the, the dominant thought that was circulating at the time. And it's even kind of the, the dominant thought of our culture. You know, as I was thinking about it, one of, you know, a TV show, I don't watch it much, and, and I've only probably seen it mostly in hotels and all don't have cable, but um, that show, was it, is it Restaurant Impossible? You know, it has the, the restaurant guy, the restaurant owner that's, you know, the big buff guy, Irvine, I think is his name, and his last name, and, you know, but he comes in, and it's this failing restaurant, and he tries to turn it around and tells them, but, you know, the story is always a similar story, you know, somebody had a dream that they wanted to own a restaurant, and uh, they 
you know, borrowed money or they got money for a friend or they had a, you know, a brother or sister or somebody that caught their vision of this dream. They wanted to be a restaurant owner or parent or whoever and, you know, loaned the money or they borrowed money or became a financier for their, for their venture. And they went into it and they had no idea what they were doing. And it's just terrible. The restaurant, food's bad, service is bad, things are bad, the marketing's bad, it looks bad. It's just going to the ground and it's just sucking the money dry. And usually um, in the show that, you know, it's kind of coming to the end of the money. In the end of the, you know, you can't just keep pouring money into this thing. It's making no money. And the logical thing, and that's what this guy has to come in and say. He says, it's time to pull the plug. You, you are, you're wasting, you're wasting your money. Or you're going to have to do the tough work of turning this thing around. But it's just wasting money. We can't keep pouring into this venture that's just going to suck us dry. It's time to cut your losses. Which is often the way we think in our culture. And it's an appropriate way to think. You can't just, it's, it's the human way, it's the way the world, you can't just keep dumping into this and it never producing anything. There's a point where you've got to cut your losses get out and that's what this the restaurant guy has to has to make them see you're failing at this what are you going to do about it and the beauty of the show is they often take his advice and turns the thing around which is great which fits also the parable because in the midst of of a culture the dominant idea was, no, just rip it out of the ground. It's wasting time. In the midst of Jesus teaching in this moment, there is, there is a judgment. There is a final day. And are you ready? And when he's even questioned, you know, are you ready? Are you ready for what's going to hit you? When you go to, to Jerusalem, he twisted around and said, no, yeah. And that, that happens to a lot of people and to all of us eventually but you get the gift of repenting today and stepping into the flow of the light of God's presence and the good news of the gospel. And when the dominant parable that would be known was, no, you just rip up, rip up the plant. In our own culture, you just cut your losses. Jesus tells this parable pauses he says but but you know god is a god of second chances it's a god of grace that that yeah if the judgment hadn't happened if life's going on if yeah today is a a bad day it made you overlook and miss the good of some of the previous 17,000 days but tomorrow you wake up again. That's a gift. That's the heart of the gospel. It's a God is a God who, who know. He sends Jesus who let me let me care for it. Let me let me see. Let me try. Let me do whatever it takes, even giving his own life. And he talks about and teaches, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It can't produce. The grain 
of wheat, the plant dies and becomes the fertilizer. He goes on and helps the seed produce into the future. He becomes that. He says, let me do whatever it takes so that they get the gift. The gift, today is a new day, and mercy is new today, and we have no idea what will happen tomorrow, and yet we're told things are gonna, things get worse, and life has its struggles, and tragedy can hit anybody. But the good news is, you've got a God who who wants to see the fruit and a mediator in Jesus Christ who do whatever it takes to bring us to the point of repenting, of getting back on track, of experiencing God's grace and stepping into it and following, following where he leads. Living within the boundaries that God invites is what brings real life and fruit. So on this third Sunday of Lent, you know, we're reminded, reminded of our own sin, reminded that, no, yeah, there's people that do worse things, but ultimately, we're, we're all guilty, and we will all face an end one day. We're also reminded of the invitation of the gospel. The light of Christ is shining right now you want to step into it you want to experience invite his salvation and surrender to him as lord it, it doesn't mean there won't be any tragedy in the future but it does mean that is how you will make it through that is what as we've said every week changes everything when we begin to follow and follow better and closer over a long period of time, as we said last week, that's, that's how the world changes. And that is the invitation of the gospel. And I invite you to meditate on it. But most of all, don't miss an opportunity to whatever, whatever crutch, whatever thing, and we all have them, that, that you run to other than God, maybe take it as an opportunity to just acknowledge it Repent of it and let it go. Invite God's grace to be the sinner. That's the gift. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for the good news of the gospel message. We thank you for being a God who sees in us the potential and that we are worthy. being saved, of being redeemed. May we not take that lightly and may we step into it and surrender to it. And let you transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.